You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. As a tool, this allows people to look behind their systems of conditioning and begin to say, oh, that whole idea I had about how I should live, that doesn't necessarily come from me. That comes from outside me. What is truest to my own self? And this is where the work really gets very, very deep. What is closest to my own heart? And what are some of the lessons the learnings that I need to do about my own state of consciousness in order to go free. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Sea Bags, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 123, Stargazing, airing for the first time on Sunday, January 19th, 2014. Today's guest is psychologist and holistic astrologist, John McLaughlin. Today is my birthday, and as such gives me an opportunity to think about where I have been, where I am going, and just exactly who I am. The latter is an elusive idea to be sure. Just who any of us might be is impacted by many variables. I know I am not alone in giving this serious consideration each year on the anniversary of my birth. This year, I'm indulging in a guilty pleasure in having my friend John McLaughlin join me to talk about the stars. We will spend our hour discussing how we are impacted by the energy of the planets, an idea that has basis in ancient astronomy and is increasingly verified by modern physics. We know you will be intrigued by our conversation. Thank you for joining me on my birthday show. Today's show is my birthday show, and what I have learned about myself as a doctor who has many, many years of Western medical training and also many years of Eastern medical training is that I've become fascinated with the stars. It may be somewhat counterintuitive because it's not always something we consider to be rational, but the stars actually have been studied for thousands and thousands of years by civilizations. And they've actually, there's a scientific basis to some of the astrology that has been um, has been studied. So I thought I'd bring in another very well-trained Portland psychologist to talk to me about astrology today. This individual has done probably more years of education than I've done and still finds himself fascinated by the stars. So John McLaughlin, thanks for coming in. And in fact, thanks for coming back because you came in in one of our early shows and talked about laughter, and now you're going to talk about stargazing. 
Ah, stargazing. One of the things I'd like to say about astrology, which has some bad press, which we all have to admit, is that if we look at the history that you all have as physicians in hospitals, we always discover that in terms of birthing times, in terms of disturbance, in terms of accidents, in terms of major illnesses, the full moon, it's always sort of the ripe and pregnant time for all sorts of medical emergencies and sudden births, etc., etc. So furthermore, aside from the moon affecting the tides, it actually affects our our whole energy field. And one of the ways that, sort of as an apologia, uh, I describe astrology to the skeptics is, let's for a minute take, say, the planet Jupiter or Saturn, just completely take it out of orbit, eliminate it, and what is going to happen? There is going to be such a massive reorganization of the entire solar system that if we think anything, even a palm tree, is going to be left standing on Earth, we have our heads in a sack. There will be decimation of everything because all the orbits will be reorganized, uh, and very quickly, uh, so that we're not living isolated on our planet. We're part of a huge energy system. All of the energies of each planet, which are the heavenly bodies, as the ancient astrologers used to call them, relate to one another. And in that relationship, we are part, just as the people who give birth at the time of the full moon, or the new moon, and the new moon also has an effect. those births are most often ones that are precipitated by a certain energy field that occurs with a full moon. We can't ignore these things. And I worked in the Netherlands in um, what was called the Neurose Clinic, a, a clinic, a residential hospital for the truly disturbed, the psychotic. All of them were taken within two weeks to a month off any medication. So we worked in a non-medicated atmosphere. I initially went to train the psychiatric staff and then joined the staff after that when I was in the Netherlands, which was about six months a year. Uh, And all of us knew that as we approached the time of the full moon, our alertness levels had to go up substantially because the change in the tenor of people's disturbances was absolutely clear. We couldn't ignore it. And those sort of facts in terms of how hospitals work, how physicians work, what happens in terms of birthing and accidents and disturbances uh, in people who have psychological problems, We can't ignore that. So that is part of the whole astrological field that we're dealing with. Um, To me, it's very simple. For people for whom this is more difficult to swallow, to digest, uh, the way in which I suggest a, a solution 
is to begin to understand how deeply related we are to everything. I mean, years ago, I sat on the deck of the house I had in Arousic, and there were chipmunks and squirrels playing, and it was in the fall, and the chipmunks were filling their cheeks full of nuts. And the realization of how utterly common to Earth we are, we people are, we're totally common to this Earth, as common as a chipmunk, a squirrel, a seal, and there were seals right off the shore, and the eagles lived on an island in the middle of the river on the Kennebec, and all of us are common to this world, and we are all affected by it. I did an article, I wrote an article for the Farmer's Almanac one year, and we were actually talking about the seasonality of illness and of um, Mm. birth and death, and there have been studies that tell us um, that especially older people, but really people of all ages, die more during a certain time of year. We become ill during certain times of the year. So there is something about um, the weather, the light, the energy. I did try to look up things about the full moon because I had been in the, I had delivered lots of babies under full moons. I had been in the emergency room uh, during times of full moons and it was crazy. It was always crazy. And yet we have nothing yet that has studied the impact of full moons. And it, it, I think it's not possible. It's not possible that there is that there is not an impact. I know that's a double negative, but yes. it, there's got to be some relationship there. There and there is a relationship. At this point, most of it is what is called, scientifically speaking, anecdotal. And anecdotal evidence has, in our paradigm, which is basically materialistic, been relegated to a sort of some closet somewhere that we don't really open or a bureau drawer that's lower down that is too far to stoop to because we depend upon double-blind studies. Well, in terms of the influence of the movement of planets, even the cycles of the moon, we can't have a double-blind study. There's no way of doing it. We can't have a group that doesn't have the moon affecting them, and a group that does, we can have a group that denies the moon will affect them, but that's very different. Uh, So we can't really do a study within our paradigm, our scientific paradigm, that satisfies those questions. But from years of working with people, I know that when there are certain transits of particularly major outer planets to the personal planets or to your ascendant or your descendant, there are changes that are pushed. Now, we can respond to them or we can resist them. Well, I want to back up because sure. I, I have studied a little bit of astrology, not a ton. Yeah. But, and so I'm familiar with things like transits and ascendants and descendants. Yeah. But I think a lot of people think about um, the 12 major signs of the zodiac. And in yeah. fact, now I believe it's possible there's 13. There's a new sign oh, that, yes. that maybe well. has been put out there as a possible new sign. But, but what you're saying is it's not as simple as that. Uh, in terms of the 12 signs, uh, we look again at those points that are right on the border. It's called a cusp. So that, say, the 21st of January, that's a cusp point. It's partly Capricornian, and it's partly Aquarian. And the people born, say, on the 21st of January share both qualities. 
and the Capricornian quality is wanting things grounded, real, solid. There's a very strong success orientation, responsibility in the outer world, and then the Aquarian energy that says, oh, I'm just going to fly off a little to the left field and explore something that doesn't actually fully relate to the field that I'm really grounded in. And there's an expansion of the Capricornian energy that tends to be a little limited by its relationship, its close relationship to the Aquarian energy. So that a person born, say, on that date stands with one foot in Capricorn and one foot in Aquarius, and it's a balancing act. But people that are solidly in one sign, to some extent, have it easier because they don't have to do quite the same sort of up, I'm some of this and some of that. And how do I synthesize that within myself? I had you do my chart before we sat down to have this interview, because I am so interested in this. And I'm born on January 19th, so that's not quite on the cusp. Yeah, you're very close. You're in the last two degrees of... I think I'd have to look at that year, the last two degrees of, of Capricorn. Uh, but you're sharing some of that Aquarian energy already. And then I have my daughter who was born on the 25th of January. Uh, and she may really, she may be three degrees or four degrees of Aquarius. I'd have to look at the ephemeris again. And ephemeris, a friend of mine jokes that ephemeris is a dog that you keep in the cellar and you feed live rats to. It's actually a book with all sorts of symbols and numbers that we astrologists use to see where the planets are at any one time. Now, that's when I, at age 24, began working with astrology. That's what we had. We had to do all the mathematics ourselves. Now they're computer programs. All we do is we throw in the name, the date, the city or town, and the time of birth, and within less than 10 seconds, the whole chart is done. Uh, It's much, much easier. So that then the astrologer can actually sit and work with the chart without spending half an hour, 45 minutes doing all the mathematics. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. Wouldn't it be great if we could spend our days doing all the things we dreamed of while gazing up at the stars on a crystal clear night? Yet for most people, and I include myself in that group, the realities of daily living prevent it from happening. We all have responsibilities to our employers, our families, people who rely on us to be there for them. But what if you could get to a place where you're able to reinvent yourself and start a new journey that was more fulfilling? What if you could define what true north meant and find your star and start walking towards it? What if you had the money to embark on a second life because financial worry had fallen off your radar? This, my friends, is what I call the seventh state of your financial evolution. While I'm certainly not there yet, I'm here to help you get there. It's time to evolve. Get in touch with Shepherd Financial and we'll help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, 
a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Dream Kitchen Studio by Matthew Brothers. Whether your style is contemporary, traditional, or eclectic, their team of talented designers are available to assist you in designing the kitchen or bath of your dreams. For more information, visit www.dreamkitchenstudio.com. So we started with the 12 signs of the zodiac, and then you told us about people who are on the cusp. Yeah. And now you're getting into different degrees and different yes. you know, different years being different things, and where you're born means something different too. So it's actually, it's already starting to get complicated, and you're not even very far into what it means no. to read somebody's chart. The, the place we're born really has to do with what is called the ascendant and the 12 houses. There are 12 signs, but those are also related to the houses. Uh, And the houses are descriptions of life experience, the various essential ways we move through existence. And the first house, for instance, is how the public, the world, sees us, and how we, mostly unconsciously, present ourselves to the world. Uh, for instance, I have Aquarius rising, and I have it right on the cusp, so I'm partly Capricornian, partly Aquarian. Uh, but people with the Aquarian energy see me as very intellectual. In actual fact, hiding behind that is a Cancer moon and a Cancer Venus that are very, very full of feeling. and. That doesn't appear immediately. The second house, for instance, has to do with our values, what we hold dear. And those values can extend anywhere from money to qualities of ethics, to fairness, to issues of how we relate to one another. The third house is the Gemini house. The second house is the Taurus house. Uh, And there was a period that I had a farm up north in the Netherlands. And in the next uh, plot, so to speak, there was a bull. And the bulls and the cows know where their boundaries are. They have clear sense of boundaries. The field is fenced. And that's very Taurian. Then you go to Gemini. And Gemini said, oh, I'm going to look at this. And I'm going to look at that. And I'm going to look at this. And I'm going to be all over the place. And all sorts of ideas. And we can go. And that's the third house. Now, somebody, for instance, with a Capricorn natal sun sitting in the third house has a very, very different quality of Geminian energy than somebody with, say, a Libran sun. And Libra is is the sign of relationships. The Capricornian energy just says, all right, I'm going to look at a lot of ideas, 
but I have to know that they work, that they're solid, that they can be put into practice, that they are useful to the public. Somebody else will say a Libran son in the third house will say, oh, there are all these possibilities for multiple relationships with all sorts of different people. I wonder where I'll go next. It's a totally different energy field. So that when we come to reading a person's chart, the astrologer really has to look at several different factors. Now, what's easy is we open up the Portland Daily Sun, for instance, and we say, okay, we read, um, I'm a Virgo, and we read Virgo, but the little ditty for the day that describes what a Virgo or a Gemini or a Leo is going through is extremely surface, primarily, and secondly, those astrological readings in newspapers are based on the position of the moon with the assumption that your sun sign is in the first house. So they just are not accurate. So you can throw all of that out. And if you really want to know how your chart is working for you or how you are working against your chart, I really want to emphasize that. One needs to either learn how to read a chart oneself, and there are a lot of books in that area, or have the assistance of somebody who has been doing this for years and years. Uh, how we prevent ourselves from living our basic map of consciousness is I think really basic to most of our lives. We all get conditioned. We're told this is so, this is so, this is the paradigm you live by, these are the precepts that you follow. We get that from our parents, our aunts and uncles, our grandparents, our schools, uh, for those who were raised in any sort of religious household, the priests, the ministers, the rabbis, the imams, all of those are bringing to bear on us their particular ways of living. And we absorb those when we're young. Often those have nothing to do with the map of energy, and we're really talking about an energy field that affects how we respond personally. A lot of it has nothing to do with that at all. So that many, many people live their lives out behind a sort of curtain of not knowing. I often like to describe astrology as a wonderful process of pulling back the veil and saying, oh, and people will sometimes, I can remember working for one man who after 45 minutes, a big tall guy, I mean, he was 6'4", six, 6'5", six, strongly built, he'd been very successful, and he started to cry, which was a bit of a surprise to me. And he looked at me after he'd sobbed a little. He said, all my life I've been struggling with that and trying to push it away. And he said, now I can feel that's just there. That's just part of me. So that as a tool, this allows people to look behind their systems of conditioning. 
and begin to say, oh, that whole idea I had about how I should live, that doesn't necessarily come from me. That comes from outside me. What is truest to my own self? What is closest to my, and this is where the work really gets very, very deep, what is closest to my own heart? And what are some of the lessons, the learnings that I need to do about my own state of consciousness in order to go free? You're saying this not only as somebody who um, works with spiritual astrology, but also as somebody who is trained in psychology, and also as an individual who you're, yourself, you have gone through these learnings and these experiences, and, and you've, you've struggled with these things firsthand. You've known what it was like to be born into a certain family and to go in a certain direction, and then realize that wasn't the direction that you know perhaps you were ultimately meant to go in, and you've gone in a lot of different directions. Yes. So tell me, what? how did that how did that happen? You know, what, what was your, you know, you're, you're born, you're a little Johnny McLaughlin. <laughs> little Johnny was supposed to become a jurist, a lawyer, a judge. That was the program. It was very clear. I will never forget at 19, one of my father's colleagues on the Supreme Court in Massachusetts looking at me and saying very emphatically that I was supposed to live according to the plan and the program, and that I would be sorely disappointed if I didn't. Uh, That has not been the case, (laughs) that I've been sorely disappointed. Something in me got permission fairly early to explore areas of my being that were not characteristic of the kind of family that I was raised in, which had a lot of education. I mean, generations of education and very intellectually positive parents, uh, and there were certain expectations. Underneath, particularly in my mother, uh, there was this sort of ripple of a little stream of you've got to explore yourself. And she had an aunt and uncle and two first cousins who spent a lot of time in Zurich, being analyzed by Jung. And I can remember asking Brookie, who was one of the two sons, uh, on the back porch of the house in Bailey Island, uh, I guess I was 10 or 11, did anything change? And Brookie said, no, 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 I'm more used to my neuroses than I was. And I can remember sitting there looking out over the ocean, thinking, there's something wrong with this picture. If nothing changes, then why bother? Now, that family, along with two others, were instrumental in bringing Jung to Bailey Island in the 30s, and he gave several lectures. We still have, the family still has videos, movies of his walking into Library Hall, which my great-uncle Perry designed, and giving lectures. Uh, But I thought, huh. Well, if nothing changes, then why bother? So something in me started asking those questions and started reading Freud and Jung. And as an undergraduate, intended to major in psychology. 
but it was a department at Oberlin that ran rats, was experimental psych. Well, by the middle of my sophomore year, I had not taken a psych course, and Van Atta, who was my advisor, said, you've got to start, you're getting rather late in the game. And I went out into Tappan Square and looked around, and the most beautiful building on campus was the art building. And I went and declared an art history major. And that was one of the smartest things this wet-behind-the-ear kid could have done because he came in touch with not only beauty, but the spiritual. And that opened up all sorts of levels of consciousness. And when I was in grad school at Harvard studying art history, that's when I started studying astrology because I knew there was somehow more to this whole field than the whole field of art as well as psychology, as our humanness. And somehow the study in art history led me to a grasp of, oh, there's something about the human condition that is so profound. And the images that really are still etched in my being, like the image of the face of Zucconi, which is one of the great statues on the outside of the Duomo in Florence. All of the pathos and the feeling and the sadness and the wonder and the awe of being human in this extraordinary mystery. The face of Nicodemus in Rembrandt's Descent from the Cross. My God! You know, looking up at his dead savior. I mean, those images said so much to me. And I knew that I had to expand way beyond art history in order to start touching that in myself. And I did a four-year training analysis um, with a Harvard psychiatrist who was in Newton during my the latter part of my 20s. And then it went further and further, and I got a lot of all my training in the field of therapy has been outside the walls. It's been non-academic. Uh, I finished the academic degrees in architectural history and philosophy, but all the real exploration of consciousness needed to go beyond the standard understanding uh, of ego, because, and we can see this in charts where we're caught by the ego mind. And the ego mind is very easily the mind that is conditioned, conditioned by external circumstances, conditioned by all of the influences we had when we were young. Uh, that conditioning doesn't allow us to explore where our true being, I often refer to the soul, where our souls are wanting to take us. And where our souls wanting, are often wanting to take us is not exactly where we're conditioned to go. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When was the last time you took a break from what you were doing, from the work that was piled up on your desk and just looked up. I know that during the course of my days, I often forget to take a moment or two to just breathe, 
look up at the sky, and dream. Terrible that I have to remind myself to breathe, but when I do, I feel energized because in those moments, I'm able to let go of the daily grind and think more about what I want to accomplish, how I want my business to grow. Sometimes those are the aha moments. If we all took a few moments out each day to stop what we're doing and dream a little about our business futures, not only would we feel a great sense of calm, but we may come to realize that these dreams can, in fact, come true. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Seabags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind, nautical-inspired pieces. Please visit the Seabags store in Portland or Freeport, or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. When you and I had a conversation about laughter on one of the early shows, you talked about the religious background of your family and how that didn't exactly match up with what became your own spiritual sense. (laughs) I hope nobody is offended who listens to this, but at age seven or eight, my mother, with a wonderful wave of her hands, would say, the Christ craze is on the way out, the Christ craze is on the way out. And my father would say, oh, it's all hypocrisy. So that I had the fortune on one hand, to be raised with a highly skeptical attitude toward religion. That's one hand. The other hand is that it gave me freedom to explore. And I refused going to a high school, a boarding school that was strongly Anglican and wound up going to a Quaker school. And every morning for 15 minutes, all of the students sat in one big hall and we were silent for 15 minutes. Well, you can imagine what at 14, 15, 16, a bunch of, you know, guys silent for 15 minutes was like, I mean, talk about shuffling, uh, the feet, the restlessness. For me, it was a real eye-opener because occasionally we'd go to Quaker meeting uh, and the meeting house in Providence was right on the grounds of Moses Brown. And those hours opened a possibility of something that I had not seen in my upbringing. And that is part of what took me on another path 
a really deeply spiritual path. And people think, oh, spiritual, airy-fairy. Um, I often slam the two words together, new age, drop the capital letters, slam them together, and you know what it rhymes with. And there's a lot of newage out there that really is not grounded. To be spiritual really means to be here and to be awake and to be alert and to be present without all the layers of the mind. That's the real spiritual process. I mean, you see it in Buddhism. The writings of Pema Chodron are absolutely amazing because they keep bringing us, no matter what we're going through, to the present and into our hearts. And you can see this in an astrological chart. You can say, oh, this person's soul is needing to move in this direction. But here is where they're stuck. And in the work that I do individually with people, I help them look at where they're stuck and where they have tremendous gifts. And often we're oblivious to the gifts that have been given us, which <laughs> as somebody who counsels people, I get so frustrated by. I mean, I will really acknowledge that. You haven't seen that gift in yourself? And it's such a surprise because if that the gifts that we have have not been ones that have been reflected to us from outside, we'll often miss them. But they're energetically set up. Our personalities are set up for many of the gifts that we have that we don't even see. But they're also set up for the challenges. And in reading a chart, I can almost always say, this is where your essential being, your soul, your heartfulness is wanting to go. What are you doing about that? Are you listening to that? Because to use that image again, astrology is sort of tearing away the veil that we all carry within ourselves that doesn't let us connect with our own being. And that connection with our own being makes all the difference in the world. I mean, and often what we do is we betray ourselves. And, and that's a strong word to use, but we can see it in any form of counseling and particularly with an astrological chart, how we betray ourselves. Oh, you're not hearing this. This is a gift. And you're not letting yourself feel that. I mean, for me personally, doing an astrological chart, though there's a lot of mind stuff and information and mind work. It's really a process of just opening my heart to a person and saying, oh, here, please look. Just be real about who you are. And now we go back to laughter. The more we can see ourselves, the funnier we become. It's a gentling process. <clears throat> we can begin to say, Oh, you mean I've been doing that all these years and I don't really have to? And then when the chuckle starts to come, that's when we start to go free. I mean, the, the laughter that comes, and meditation will bring that on as well, that we begin to accept all of ourselves. 
whatever it is, the shadows, the tough stuff. The, I mean, a lot of people deal with addictions of one sort or another, controlled or not. I mean, all of that we bring home. We say, oh, this is all of me. This is part of me. Nothing gets thrown out. And one of the failings, I think, in a lot of the understanding that exists in Western psychology really has to do with the fact that we think we can get rid of something. There's no way. Please, if this is part of the energy field that we are born with, you can see it astrologically, then that's part of what I have to work with. That's, you know, that's part of the clay that has been given me or the wood that has been given me so that I can create a form that is truly reflective of my own being. And that's an essential part of, of I think, learning to be. Now, what's <clears throat> interesting, and this is a technical point, when Freud came here, the one time he did to lecture at Clark Institute, the initial translations of Freud from the German into English mistranslated the word zeal, which in German means soul, and the American translators translated as mind, so that they l radically limited the understanding that became pervasive in Western, particularly American psychology, to working with the mind, and the mind is only one part of our being. It's, it's actually that which supports the ego. And the mind is always, if we can really look at it gently, without any judgment, is always trembling because it's going to be found out that it doesn't have a real grasp on the truth or the mystery of existence. I mean, as all of the great spiritual teachers say, uh, we don't know. We don't know the future. There's no way of knowing the future. This is a mystery that we all have to live through, and it is not secure. There's no way of making it secure. I mean, we may be able to build up a huge fortune and live in a big house, and it will still snow, and there'll still be earthquakes, or all the money could be lost, or our wives or our husbands or whomever could walk out on us, or there'll be a death of a child. None of that is controllable. How we respond to it is really the way in which we either go free or we stay bound by the mind. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. The winter landscape gives us a time of deep reflection the ice, the snow, the slippery conditions give us an excuse to slow down. The winter landscape is something I pay close attention to when I am preparing a, a landscape plan. Japanese pine, Harry Lauder's walking stick, uh, Twisted Baby, which is actually a honey locust cultivar, all have a unique sculptural quality to them. They have snow and ice collect on their branches 
accentuates their unique qualities. Low voltage outdoor lighting also brings out the winter landscape in ways that are just amazing. The shadows play off the naked branches as the gentle light washes over the night landscape. Otherwise, black glass turns into an outdoor living landscape. This black glass in your house comes alive because it, it, your eye goes through the glass and out into the landscape. When it snows, it's just incredible. You feel like you're out there, yet you're inside where it's warm and cozy. So it's important that we pay close attention when we're doing our landscape designs to really think about the long, dark days of winter. I'm Ted Carter, and if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at tedcarterdesign.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast understands the importance of the health of the body, mind, and spirit. Here to talk about the health of the body is Jim Graderix of Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical. What's better than stargazing? How about stargazing in your own personal massage chair with technology inspired by NASA? Talk about a true space experience. Well, Black Bear Medical carries human touch reclining massage chairs. Soothe those tired, aching muscles and elevate your body to a new state of comfort and relaxation, right in the comfort of your own home. The secret is in the technology that was inspired by NASA and brings you the ultimate weightless position for optimal relaxation. Now, you don't think you can afford these zero-gravity chairs? Well, don't worry. At Black Bear Medical, your wellness is our goal. So we provide 0% financing. Visit blackbearmedical.com or come into our Portland location today for more details. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine Seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. Are there things that are happening in 2014 astrologically, especially January, February, March, that people might start to feel? Well, the, the residue of the transit of uh, Uranus and uh, Pluto is still affecting all of us. There's no question about that. And there will be an exact square again during 2014. And it doesn't happen in the first three months of the year. But this energy is basically breaking apart old structures. And we're talking about old structures politically, but we're also talking about the old structures internally. In all of us, we're going through tremendous change. Basically, this is a time, and I think there's not anybody who's not aware of the tensions which we're dealing with. I mean, if we look just at our own Washington government, the breakdown in communication is absolutely extraordinary. And that's part of this transit that we're going through. That is the major one that is influencing us at this point. There's a second one because Pisces 
uh, Neptune has gone fully into the sign of Pisces, so that for all of us on the planet, we are being, in a way, encouraged, I, I even want to say exhorted energetically, to opening up on a more spiritual level. And that Neptune rules the sign of Pisces, so it's affecting all of us, whether we have planets in Pisces or in signs that are related to Pisces by square or sextile or trine. Sextile and trine are easy relationships. Uh, All of us are feeling somehow, oh, there must be something more than this strictly material existence. Because as we get older, uh, we begin to realize, oh, ho, ho, we're not going to last forever. Uh, I can remember looking down at my hands, oh, 10, 15 years ago, and realizing, oh, they were becoming a little like my father's, which I could remember so vividly as he grew older. And I felt such a grace with that. But if we don't open to a deeper, higher, whatever adjective one wants to use, dimension of our reality, then the changes we go through as we age, for instance, become more and more terrifying, more and more ones to be avoided, more and more ones to be set away from. Uh, Consequently, endless cosmetics, we now have cosmetics for men, uh, to try to stave off the aging process, which really is, is becoming more and more difficult for us because the world that we're living in, the sort of increased chaos that has no point in it. I think of the Pachenko Pachenko game, the Japanese game on the wall, and just the the, uh, little steel balls flying all over the place. Uh, Our lives are more and more disjointed or disjunctive. Uh, It was amazing yesterday, I was up in Brunswick at Wild Oats, seeing four, they were obviously Bowdoin students, and I actually checked on that later, and they were spending time together, but they were all on their iPhones, and I, I thought, you know, when I was that age, we sat around and we talked. We talked a lot. We probably talked too much but we thought we were talking at least about something important or essential to us. Now, they may have been texting something essential and important to them, but right there, there were four of them and they weren't relating. And that's part of this chaos that we're living in, which is more and more disassociative. And we can see it often in the charts of young people that one of the issues that they're really having to work with consciously and energetically is how do I learn how to relate instead of existing in a solipsistic, in a a sort of um, isolated individuation of self. Uh, And I look and I think, oh, heavens, they've really got so much to learn about that. Now, on the other hand, I've read studies that indicate that they have capacities in their minds from having paid, played video games that are way beyond those of us who weren't raised with them. So there are trade-offs. I just wonder 
what happens when we no longer can sit down at a table and really talk with one another. Because we human beings have to learn how to do that. And the Uranus-Pluto square and the movement of Neptune wholly and completely out of the cusp uh, degrees in the very early part of Pisces, the movement of Neptune fully into Pisces is saying we've got to own a dimension of our reality that is not just material, is not limited to what we manufacture, what we produce. We only have a few more minutes, but I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what happens when you overlay one chart upon another? Uh, in the case of a parent and a child, in yeah. the case of a husband and a spouse, um, I mean, are people always able to, say you have two charts that are in opposition to one another, yeah. would you ever say to somebody, yeah, this just is not going to work out for you. Or would you say, these are your characteristics and you should both know about this because it might be more challenging for you? I always go for the latter, which is these are the areas of which you have to be really aware where there could be sticky points. So you have to be alert to those. But there are two ways of working with two charts. One is to overlay one on the other, and that's a comparison. And then there's a second way, which is to create a composite, which is to find the midpoints uh, of both charts. And that creates a third chart, which really is the chart of the relationship. And I know two people that had, in terms of comparison, some wonderful aspects with one another and some very troublesome ones. The composite for those two people was made in heaven. But the composite only works if both people are able to step into it. If only one steps into it, then the difficulties, the sticky points in the comparison, will be the dominant factor. But there's nothing that can't be resolved with awareness. Now, I can remember uh, three, four years ago now working with a whole family down in South Carolina by phone because I do phone work. Uh, and one of the issues that they raised was that their older son was re- at 13 was a real problem. The father was doing the majority of the upbringing and the discipline and wanted a really close relationship with his son. Uh, and the mother had sort of stepped back. There was a daughter in the family, uh, and her relationship with her daughter was closer. And I looked at the comparison between the son and the father. Well, it's not one I would have wished for, to put it easily, but the comparison between the mother and the son was quite wonderful. And I had quite an hour and a half with the two of them explaining to the father exactly what he had to do, which was to back off, really step back from the role that he'd played, and to allow the mother to step into the role of guide and disciplinarian. A month later, they called me up and they said, there's peace in the house. We don't know what happened. I said, yes, you do. You switched how you used your personal energies so that they could work better with your son. And the father, you got out of the way, and the mother stepped in. And, and ever since then, I've been in touch with them since then, 
those teenage years have been incredibly smooth. Now, that's how you can work in a familial situation. It's really quite wonderful. John, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, One way is Facebook, uh, because I'm on Facebook, and it's a very easy way to get a hold of me. I don't have a website, and that's fairly intentional. The other way is by phone, uh, which is a 207 area code, 522-4465. And those are the two most direct and easiest ways to get a hold of me. And I'm happy to be gotten a hold of. John, we could keep talking for hours and hours. I, I know that I, the more I learn about astrology, the more it just falls in line with things that I feel like we know as a society and also that I know personally. Um, quantum physics is sort of telling us a lot about the energy of the world. Um, we get to look back at Chichen Itza and what was going on in Mexico and the astrologers back then. It's interesting oh, yeah. to feel these things all coming together. Today we have to stop, but I really appreciate your coming in and um, talking to all of us on my birthday as a Capricorn and someone who's a little bit cuspy that way. No. I love hearing about um, things that we know in different ways and things that we can learn about in different ways and opening our minds and connecting to something more um, central to ourselves. So I really appreciate your coming in and speaking with us today. Um, We've been speaking with John McLaughlin, who is a Portland psychologist and spiritual astrologer and many, many other things. Yes. Thanks for coming in. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 123, Stargazing. Our guest has been John McLaughlin. For more information on our guest and extended interview, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and Pinterest, and read my take on health and well-being on the Bountiful blog. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think about the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our stargazing show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. And happy birthday to my niece Eleanor and my daughter Abby in this upcoming week. I enjoy having you as fellow January babies. May all of you, our listeners, have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Seabags, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Our online producer is Katie Kelleher. 
Become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Summaries of all our past shows can be found at doctorlisa.org. Thank you.